everybody. Welcome to the Flagship Podcast. I am Chip Brown, Horns247.com, joined by the managing editor of Horns247, Taylor Estes. Taylor, it is springtime. I think you have a birthday coming up. Um, yeah, I did this week, actually. Hello, happy birthday. Everybody wish <laughs> Taylor. Everybody wish Taylor a happy birthday. <laughs> there we go. That's nice. Um, okay, so to celebrate your birthday, we have Texas Spring football back in action after the guys got back from spring break. And we also have the Texas men's basketball team in the sweet 16 under soon to be head coach <laughs> Rodney Terry in Kansas City taking on Xavier which is a really tough matchup folks if you've not looked at Xavier uh, by the way the Big 12 got seven teams into the NCAA tournament and has two left yeah K-State in Texas mm -hmm. it's uh, wild the, the Big East has three teams left now, it's all about who wins it all, who gets the final four, all that stuff, but we'll we'll get into that. Um, and of course, we will have another unforgettable edition of Love It or Leave It. So um, those of you who are new to the flagship podcast, welcome. Where you been? Um, for those of you who are longtime listeners, you know, Love It or Leave It can either be fantastic or you know, maybe incredibly fantastic. <laughs> a place for us to rant. <laughs> That's right. Off the cuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's where we have some fun and also express some, uh, some opinions on some interesting topics of the day. All right. So Taylor, let's get into the resumption of spring football. Unlike last year, the team did not bring COVID back from spring break. They did not have to delay the resumption of spring football. Everyone behaved themselves. and Always good. Always good. And we had two, <laughs> two players returning from injury on the practice field. Quarterback Malik Murphy, who, as Steve Sarkeesian told us, had a new injury at the end of winter conditioning that caused him to... Uh, precautionary Steve Sarkeesian said, hold him out of the first week of spring football. He was back on the field Tuesday. He looked good. Uh, let me tell you when he steps into a throw, that ball whistles yeah. while it works. He looks good. Yeah. And this is huge. I mean, getting him back is a huge development for Texas. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian said prior to spring break that Malik Murphy was going to be staying in Austin to rehab more um the week off of practice and the hope was for him to return the following week which did happen and chip you and i have talked about how this is probably one of the most important positions to watch not like a quarterback battle per se or quinn ewers getting you know is arch manning going to take over quinn ewers all of the hoopla the headlines that you read the biggest development is going to be in most important development, I think, from a position standpoint, is who's going to step up and if Texas has a guy that can be a capable backup to Quinn Ewers. Because um, there's no denying that quarterbacks get hit and sometimes they have to leave a game and the backup needs to be ready to go. And with Malik Murphy out the first week, we were kind of like, oh, geez, that's, a, that's another setback for a kid who early enrolled but didn't get to go through much practice or anything as a true freshman because he was dealing with injury. And then to miss the first week of spring ball. But the fact that he's back is really big. And, um, you know, I think as big as much progress as he can make, the better it's going to be for the overall Texas offense. And I know that people are wanting to hear about Arch Manning. It's Malik Murphy, I think, that is the backup. And Arch is competing with him at this point, not Arch and Quinn or anything like that. But if Malik Murphy can, you know, live up to his ceiling. Cause I think that's the thing with him, Chip, we haven't seen what he can do. His ceiling's very, very high, but it's raw. Like he's, he was raw in high school. Um, you know, didn't get a full season of high school football because of COVID. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, work he kind of needs to make to reach that ceiling, but there's no denying how high that ceiling can be. Yeah. I mean, this guy has a cannon 
for an arm and he's accurate. And that's the thing. You know, people are like, oh, he's Vince Young. No, 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 no. No, He couldn't couldn't be further from Vince Young. (laughs) This is a guy who, like I said, the ball whistles when he throws it. That's how much uh, pace he's got on it. And it's accurate. Um, He he threw a pass to DeAndre Moore, an out route uh, that was right on the money and a laser. And so um, this is exciting. This is what we've been waiting for. It's the beginning. To me, this is the beginning of the Malik Murphy um, time at Texas, really. Yeah. I, I, I hate to, you know, we've, we've talked about how he's learned a lot. Obviously, he knows the offense. He's watched it in action. He's been in the meetings. But now he gets to step on the field and earn his coaches and teammates trust based on what he does, not based on what he knows. So this is, this is exciting. We, we should get to see a lot of Malik Murphy in the spring game on April 15th. And uh, as you said, it was Quinn Ewers getting first team reps, Malik Murphy getting second team reps, Arch Manning getting third team reps in practice. Uh, as spring football resumed on Tuesday. So uh, this is this is big news. And the other big news was Jonathan Brooks, um, who, you know, started or no, he didn't start. He played in the Alamo Bowl, but then he had hernia surgery right like a after day or two after. Yeah. Right after the Alamo Bowl and missed the first week of spring football. And he was back today and he was running with the ones. So even though he missed the first three spring practices before spring break, he came back uh, or he comes back and is running with the ones. He was followed by Jaden blue and then CJ Baxter. Keelan Robinson is still out with the, the muscle strain that uh, Steve Sarkeesian told us about. So, but Jonathan Brooks looked good. Now there was a little rust. I mean, he looked good moving and Tashar choice had them going through, you know, those, you know, kind of side to side, go through the, the poles and cut in tight areas. And um, he looked good. He looked like he had burst. He had quickness. Uh, he did fumble the ball when one of the football staffers punched at it, you know, how they do in the, in the drills. So a little bit of rust for Jonathan Brooks, but Steve Sarkeesian said after practice that he, he, he was happy with how Jonathan Brooks looks and, this is the guy who's the front runner to replace Bijan Robinson. Now, whether he ends up in that spot, whether he ends up as the starter going into the 2023 season remains to be seen. A lot of football between now and then spring ball, summer, fall camp. But uh, Jonathan Brooks is, is the guy to beat because he's played in 11 games. He averaged 6.7 yards per carry. He's rushed for, you know, five touchdowns and caught a touchdown pass. So that puts him ahead of, of guys like Jaden blue and CJ Baxter Taylor. Cause those guys um, haven't, haven't been on, well, Jaden blues carried the ball six times, but it was in, you know, uh, scrap duty. We didn't even see him in the Alamo bowl. Thought we were going to see him in the Alamo bowl. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's good to, that Jonathan Brooks is back. It's not really a surprise to me that he's running with the first team chip just because um, I think it was pretty clear he was, well, I guess Keelan Robinson, I, I guess, technically started the Alamo Bowl, I think. But um, Jonathan Brooks, you know, seemed to get a little bit more of the carries in that game. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, it's going to be interesting to see to me with the running back position, if there is a guy that turns into the front runner and the leader of the group, and then other guys get backup reps. Or if it's a running back by committee, um, Steve Sarkeesian's talked about that. We've talked about that. You know, he's pointed a number of times to the fact that he has never had, never not had, excuse me, a thousand yard rusher on a team when he's been um, the offensive play caller. So will that come to fruition? We don't know, but I don't, again, I kind of am in the group of, I'm not sure that the running back room needs to necessarily have one guy, right? I, I think that uh, I don't know if running back by committee would necessarily be a bad thing, assuming that the offense as a whole has progressed with Quinn Ewers uh, throwing the ball in the, you know, a better group of receivers and more talent at the receiver position. 
um, you know, at the disposal of Steve Sarkeesian and the offensive staff. Yeah. And I think, you know, Steve Sarkeesian said he would prefer to have a featured back just because there's a comfortability, familiarity with what that runner does well. Um, and the coaches love consistency and dependability and accountability and knowing what they can count on and what they can't or what to avoid, I should say. And, and so this is, this is going to be fun because these are talented dudes who are competing. And I think Jonathan Brooks is a really talented guy. He just hasn't had a chance to really show it on a, you know, on a consistent basis. And, and I think Jaden blue, we know he's talented or he wouldn't be at Texas CJ Baxter, the number one running back in the country in the 2023 class who just looks smooth. I mean, and is super smart. We know that 4.0 GPA. He was, I mean, he just gets it, understands concepts, the offense um, in a way that most freshmen, it takes a little longer uh, for. So lots to, to pick from in the, in the running back room and Taylor Isaiah Nair. Also, um, you know, running routes today and looking good, looking sharp. Steve Sarkeesian, you know, he had the ACL surgery from the injury he suffered last year during fall camp. Steve Sarkeesian, I said, is Isaiah Nair a full participant in practice? He said, no, we're monitoring his reps, but he looks good physically and mentally. And Taylor, that's big because we know uh, from just take a guy um, like, um, oh Troy my O'Meary. Yeah, Troy O'Meary, who, you know, had the knee injury, had the repair, never quite trusted his knee, never quite looked the same. Then he tore it again. And now he's, um, you know, going to go try and make it happen somewhere else. But those ACL tear knee injuries mentally, you have to, you have to believe it. You have to feel confident in it and, and move with that kind of confidence. And that's what Steve Sarkeesian was referring to with Isaiah Nair. That's a big step for a guy coming off that um, ACL tear to, to just look confident, look smooth. And uh, from what I've heard, the kid has just been a, a monster in his rehab uh, in terms of doing everything right. He wants to get on the field. He wants to, you know, show everyone what he can do. He wants to be an NFL player. And that's the kind of desire, the kind of hunger and the kind of discipline that you, you want from a guy uh, who's six foot three and can run and, you know, make contested catches and, and serve as another deep threat for this uh, Texas offense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that you're right, because basically what happened with Troy O'Meary is mentally he never got back and then he re-injured it. You know, when when players, a lot of times when they're um, favoring uh, an, you know, an injury or something of like the past that has been injured, it can oftentimes cause them to re-injure it or hurt another part of their body even too, you know, by trying to favor it a little bit. And that was something that I think Troy O'Meary ran into. So the fact that Steve Sarkeesian is I mean, it sounds, it probably sounds weird to some people hearing that he said he's mentally good, but it makes a lot of sense because if you have been following Texas football for the last couple of years, you witness what happens when they're not mentally good. And that was Troy O'Meary just never, I mean, he was the talk of fall camp, his first week of fall camp, um, entering his true freshman season, had that ACL injury and you never heard from him again, basically at that point. Um, and the fact that that's not the case for Isaiah Nair probably has something to do with him being a little bit more mature and older player where Troy O'Meary's injury happened before he, you know, had a full first semester of college, and, uh, you know, at Texas, uh, in the fall there. So I think that probably helps, but if he's mentally good, that's, that's huge because you don't, what you don't want is another Troy O'Meary situation if you're Texas. Yeah, and staying in the receiver room, um, Steve Sarkeesian today was asked about Brennan Thompson, who's running track um, for Texas and loves track. Kind of a Marquise Goodwin type of dual sport athlete. We know he's you know a 10-second guy in the 100, 
and um, Edric Florial, the, the, the coach of the Texas track team, of course, won the indoor national championship last year, is, is loving having Brennan Thompson uh, on the track team. Steve Sarkeesian, it was a little hard to read on this. He said it's tough um, for the dual sport athletes, um, but he said that, you know, in the hands of Edric Florial, Brennan Thompson, who has lightning speed, will only get faster because of the work he's putting in, the technique. And Steve Sarkeesian, we know, loves speed, especially deep speed on his offense. So, um, you know, Brennan Thompson missing spring football, but uh, he's a guy who had a few catches last year. We know he's, he's capable uh, of getting deep down the field. He still absolutely loves football, but he loves track too. And Marquise Goodwin is still in the NFL, Taylor. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little of like Jonathan Burt, but the problem, the the question I would have is how is he developing as a receiver, right? I mean, it's great to have speed at the position, but if they can't catch a football because they've been out of football and focusing on track, that speed's never going to see the field. So, I mean, it, it, that's an interesting one, you know, with him not going through this, um, especially I think, I mean, a part of me wonders, if the coaches are okay with it because they've felt comfortable enough to even move like Savion red out of the receiver room into the running back room because of the additions that they have on this year's roster compared to last year's, but still I feel like Brennan Thompson could have been in a position to really solidify himself as a, a go-to threat with another year of, of practice and the fact that he's not going through spring. I don't know. What, what, what is your take on that chip? Well, he's, he's got a, he's got a bet on himself. So if he's, he's, if he's confident enough to where he, he's saying to himself, I can come in in fall camp. I can come in in the summer and I can get everything done that I need to get done. I can earn my, my teammates trust, uh, my coaches trust, and they do work now more in the summer than they have. They're able to practice. They can even right. practice with a ball. It used to be you could just spend a couple hours a week with a coach and they can you know, talk to you about technique. Now, every coach used that time to practice as a team. Um, and now, you know, the NCAA said, okay, we know what you're doing here. You can have a ball too and, you know, go, go practice. So if Bren Thompson is that confident in his ability and he's willing to bet on himself and he can prove to his coaches come summer and come fall that he's got this offense down, that he can catch the football, um, then okay. Cause that's what Marquise Goodwin did. And Marquise Goodwin turned out to be a big play guy under Mac Brown, who, who went to the Olympics for crying out yeah. loud in the, uh, you know, in the, in the long jump. So this is, um, it's going to be interesting and it's gonna be fun to follow Brendan Thompson in his track. Cause the Texas relays is coming up, uh, what this weekend. Yeah, I think it's, it's coming. It's always in like the end of March, I feel like. So it's probably got to be this weekend or next. I'm not yeah, sure yeah. off the top of my head. I'm not sure, when but it's coming up soon. It's coming up soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, but you're talking about a guy that was an Olympian and then turned an NFL player. Not everybody can do that. Marquise Goodwin was really special in, in being able to manage both duties and, you know, sports. We'll see. We, we haven't been able to really see it with Brandon Thompson yet just because he's young. Um, but that's something to definitely keep an eye on though, I think. And he might be biding his time. I mean, he might realize, okay, I got worthy ahead of me. Um, you know, maybe he goes pro after this year and then I'm, you know, in there fighting, whatever. I'm, I, I, I'm totally speculating here yeah. and, and we'll see, we'll see how Brendan Thompson performs, uh, in fall camp. That'll tell us, they'll tell us a lot. We know, um, they had him on the field in some late game situations last year. So they trusted him enough to put him in against Oklahoma state in the fourth quarter. And I think he was on the field against Texas tech as well. So um chip those are not good games to point to him being on the field well maybe they should have thrown it to him 
If you're going to put him on the field, throw him the ball. Let's see if you can make a play. Oh, gosh. Don't throw it to Keela Robinson on second down when <laughs> Bijan Robinson's running for 13 yards of carry. All right. Anyway, I digress. Okay. Uh, staying on the offense, Taylor, Cam Williams is a guy we love to talk about. We know Kyle Flood loves him some Cam Williams. Well, I asked Steve Sarkeesian about Cam Williams today, and he he had nothing but glowing um, praise for Cam Williams. And it's not just that he's, you know, 6'7", 374. It's that – and he's, his, that weight is down, by the way. But he's he can move, and we've talked about that here on the flagship podcast. Taylor had a long conversation with Kyle Flood at the Alamo Bowl. Um, our Hudson Standish reported uh, Monday, late Monday, that Cam Williams has been working some at guard, and that's that's big time. That that's telling you that Cam Williams is ready that he's pushing. And Steve Sarkeesian basically said as much today, he said, Cam Williams is pushing to get into that top five. So he, he said, we're going to get the best five on the field. It, it, don't pigeonhole guys as a tackle or a guard. If they can do what they need to get done and they can move, uh, we'll find a place for them. And so Cam Williams, definitely a name to keep an eye on here in the, in the spring, because Guy is a big, strong, long-armed fella who can move people. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like an athlete, though. That's that's what, you know, when I remember last summer um, when Texas updated their roster with all of the newcomers on there and Cam Williams, everyone, I saw his size. I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is a monster. And this kid is, like, going to be a true freshman, just graduated high school. I reached out to a source at that point, and the source was like, the scariest thing is how quick he is. Like that's the, the he's not just some big guy that's going to take up a lot of space and be able to corral defensive players coming at him and protect the quarterback. This is a guy that can move like the, his athleticism was something that the sources I had talked to were the most enthralled with, not just his size. I mean, you know, a 17 year old that's six foot seven and 374 pounds that in itself is surprising, you know, on its own. But then you add in the athleticism, how quick he can be. As you mentioned, Kyle Flood definitely wants to see Cam Williams take that next step, said that he was doing so in practice late in the season last year that, you know, we don't see that type of development since he wasn't on the field. But, I mean, that kid, he's a freak. He's he's like, you know, a just a freak, at, like a Leonard Davis freak type of athlete, in my opinion, when you think back of what Leonard Davis was. I mean, my father-in-law coached him. And that guy ran the four by one relay. <laughs> the pride <Yeah>. of Wortham, <laughs> Texas. The four by yeah, that guy ran the four by one relay. So, uh, yeah, Cam Williams. I mean, he looks the part for sure. We know that the coaches like his athleticism. Now it's just when can it click for him? I'd say Chip. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's gonna be fun to watch. Big Cam Williams. Um, uh, Pride of Duncanville. <laughs> okay. So Taylor, let's, uh, before we get to basketball, uh, let's get over to the defensive side of the football because two of the position battles that are incredibly intriguing uh, are weak side linebacker where Texas is trying to replace um, another freak athlete, DeMarvin Overshone, and at corner, where Texas is replacing Deshaun Jameson. And Steve Sarkeesian uh, does not sound concerned about these two positions and how the battle's going to shake out because I think he feels really good about David Benda. Okay, we'll start at the weak side linebacker first. Um, you know, David Benda is a guy who's been in the program. He's, he's probably ready to take that same step that Jalen Ford took last year, just in terms of comfortability, not having to think and being able to play fast. Um, but here's Mo Blackwell, who they just love his intensity, his, his willingness to strike. Um, Steve Sarkeesian said 
that Mo Blackwell's getting really comfortable at the weak side linebacker position, but can also play the strong side linebacker position. Um, and someone said, well, gosh, he's only 215. And Sark said, DeMarvin Overshone was only 215. You know, he was a long limbed guy, but he was always on the lighter side. So um, Mo Blackwell, it sounds to me, uh, might be the guy to beat here, Taylor. And we haven't even talked about Anthony Hill and Leonga Lafau, who Steve Sarkeesian said they're both, you know, picking it up fast. So I think this is going to be one of the more exciting uh, position battles of, of spring into the summer on into fall camp. I don't think we're going to have a guy declared, um, you know, the, the starter coming out of spring football. This, this battle is going to continue. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, Mo Blackwell and David Benda, you know, I, I think you have to give some credit to Tom Herman and his staff. Cause those were guys that they recruited. Obviously Mo Blackwell was, he was a 2021 signing class, I think so, but he was already, I believe, signed with Texas by the time that Sark and his staff were hired. So, um, but yeah, I mean, this is going to be interesting. It's going to be really hard to replace the, the leadership and experience that, that DeMarvian Overshone brought to the position. Um, obviously DeMarvian Overshone kind of had to grow into the position since he didn't make the move from safety to linebacker until 2020 after, you know, from what we had heard, sources had told us that Chris, or excuse me, Todd Orlando and that staff tried to get in the move and he didn't want to. It took Chris Ash coming in and really telling him, your future's at linebacker, so you've got to make this move. And he did. Obviously, it paid off, but that's a tough guy to replace. And you want competition, I think, there, but you want a guy to step up too, Chip. And um, with it being up for grabs, I mean, th that's going to be something to watch, no doubt about it. But I feel like the the more names you can throw into the mix is a good thing. You just want to see one guy at least start to separate himself. I um, mean, you hope that comes sooner rather than later, especially when you have to replace a guy like Overshone. Here's what Steve Sarkeesian had to say about Mo Blackwell today. He said, um, you know, we're seeing him mature. He's dedicating himself to his diet. Uh, and we're starting to see that transformation in him. He's a heck of a player. I love the competitive nature of Mo. We asked a lot of him as a true freshman on special teams. He plays violent. He plays tough. I think he plays the way we want to play football. So that's a pretty ringing endorsement for Mo Blackwell. And we know the guy has pop. I mean, he showed up on film in every game he played. So just imagine a, a whole game of him in a position, you know, weak side linebacker, uh, even, and, you know, they said come off the edge. So uh, the, it's, it's interesting. You know, we, we haven't had this kind of conversation uh, about the linebacker position and we're going to move on into the cornerback position um, because uh, it's usually been, who who's going to be the guy who do they yeah. have a guy do they have a guy and yeah. and now they feel like they have a, a few guys to pick from right yeah and that that's huge and then you know moving into cornerback you know i think the addition of gavin holmes has been uh probably uh, like downplayed a little bit publicly i would say but he's a guy i feel like that the coaches really like and was a huge addition from the transfer portal out of wake forest um you know, I mean, that you're right, Chip. We, when we talked about corner and linebacker last year, it was who's going to step up, who's, you know, what the, um, th those were kind of questions of, or positions of concern in the offseason. So it's definitely a huge development that, that has kind of changed, I would say. I apologize if you guys heard those Slack <laughs> notifications. I just got like, four through. So sorry if you heard that, but yeah, I mean, this is huge. And the cornerback, I think the addition of Gavin Holmes has proved to be instrumental too. Yeah. Think about the portal additions, Gavin Holmes, AD Mitchell at receiver, Jalen Catalan at safety. And even though Jalen Catalan is, um, you know, rehabbing the shoulder surgery that uh, Steve Sarkeesian said today, we had to go in and clean some things up. So when Jalen Catalan came to Texas, Texas did their own 
uh, medical on Jalen Catalan felt like there was still a little bit more uh, to clean up. So a uh, little arthroscopic surgery. And, and so Jalen Catalan will not be a, a full participant this spring, but that's fine. You know, we know what Jalen Catalan can do. What Texas needs is for Jalen Catalan to be healthy, strong, and injury-free going into this season. So, yeah. um, and and Taylor, the the cornerback position, I think it is now clear that Austin Jordan, um, another one of those kids um, from Denton Ryan, the powerhouse, Denton Ryan played with Jatavian Sanders on that uh, state championship team in 2020, uh, is going to be uh, a nickel. He's going to be backing up Jade Barron at that star nickel position which means it's Gavin Holmes, Terrence Brooks, Xavion Bryce, Malik Muhammad uh, battling it out uh, for that, that uh, field corner position. Uh, no, you know, Steve Sarkeesian said, we're not, we don't have a depth chart. So, you know, Ryan Watts has got to prove himself every day, but he, he proved himself pretty well Yeah, uh, <laughs> last year to the point where I think we're all just handing him a well-earned uh, starting position at boundary corner. So again, Steve Sarkeesian says these guys are all, you know, scratching, clawing, making plays uh, to where, again, even though they don't have a ton of experience, although they do now with Gavin Holmes, and I think he is the guy to beat for that, uh, that field corner position because of his experience, you're getting this, hungry competition. And I've heard Malik Muhammad's name several times. This is a guy who really uh, processes, gets it, um, is fearless, wants to play man coverage, can't wait to line up against Xavier Worthy, uh, wants to wants to show what he can do every time in a practice rep. And that's, that's what you want. Um, that's what, that's what pushes everybody to be better. Yeah, when young guys, especially like early enrollees that come in and can make a little bit of a name for themselves. I mean, that was something that Jalen uh, Gilbo had done prior to his suspension last offseason. But he and Terrence Brooks, too, were guys that we heard their names early and often, honestly. Um, and I, I know Terrence Brooks didn't play too much of a starting role, but still he was a, a key contributor coming off the bench, Jalen Gilbo. Um, before his injury was playing a lot of, of ball too. So, I mean, you want those guys that are the, the high, you know, t highly rated, highly touted recruits to come in and play like they're really highly touted, you know, high rated recruits. And it sounds like the guys that Texas did bring in as early enrollees are all kind of stepping up and, um, and, answer, you know, showing that those ratings weren't just, you know, fluff numbers. They were legit. I mean, Malik Muhammad, I think he was, what, one of the – he was top 24-7 prospect. I know that. I think he was, like, the fifth highest rated outside of the four four-stars that Texas signed. I believe it was Malik Muhammad. I don't have it in front of me. But that's huge. I mean, you want the young guys to push the veterans because competition is key. That's where some of the best – you know, football teams that Texas has fielded in recent history have come from competition, that 05 team, the, you know, 09 national championship team. I mean, there's a lot of competition across the board, especially in the secondary, and that's what you want. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, so it was overall a, a, an exciting return, resumption of spring football. Um, and we will, of course, have uh, actually head over to horns247.com to get all the, the latest from practice, we we were allowed in for a, a window of time, not a long enough window of time, but we'll take <laughs> Hey, beggars can't be choosers. Come That's on. Right. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, boy, Malik Murphy, when he throws the football, when he steps into a throw, woo! That's, uh, that's what it looks like at the next level. Um, Taylor, obviously, it is March Madness, and um, what, what a week, what a first weekend for the Texas Longhorns. They, they, uh, they handle business against Colgate, a team that had a surprisingly strong inside presence, um, uh, with Keegan records and, um, 
you know, just a couple of six, 10 guys who go about 250, 270. And um, Serge Jabari Rice said, uh, let me just drop seven of 10 threes over the top of you. <laughs> and Dylan Dazu just continues to be uh, the man. And we saw Dylan Dazu just take his game to a new level uh, when Penn State made a 10-0 run to take the lead uh, late in the game against uh, Texas. And who answers but Dylan Dazu scores on three straight possessions, scores eight points in a 10-0 run to answer Penn State's 10-0 run, finishes with 28 points, 10 rebounds. And at a time where Jabari Rice's jumper wasn't going in, Marcus Carr was having trouble getting his shot off. Uh, Timmy Allen was struggling. Dylan Dazu said, excuse me while I take over this game. Yeah. And he did it. And Texas rolls on into the Sweet 16. And Dylan Dazu is becoming um, the story among the players in this postseason for Texas. Yeah. I mean, I think every game in the postseason, he has posted double-digit points. Um, this, I, I, I saw something. I believe that the 28 points he scored was the most ever by a Texas player in the round of 32 NCAA tournament. And also um, his 14 um, made, basket, field goals. Made, made field goals is the most ever in school history in any game. Uh, he surpassed uh, Kevin Durant, who did it a couple of times, had the, the lead there. But I mean, his performance is this. It's been huge. I mean, especially considering, you know, during the Big 12 tournament, for instance, when Timmy Allen was out, you know, I mean, that could be a crucial absence, you know, and Dylan DeZu has just answered the call um, throughout the postseason starting in the Big 12 tournament. It's going to be interesting to see if he can be as successful in Kansas City as he was the first time around in the Big 12 tournament when they play the Xavier team. But I mean, he he all but sealed the deal for Rodney Terry. I mean, his performance coming through in the clutch like that against uh, Penn State. Chip had reported that if Texas made it to the Sweet 16, Rodney Terry would likely be named the head coach of Texas basketball moving forward. And without Dylan DeZue, Texas doesn't make it to the Sweet 16. So huge, huge performance for him. They're going to still need it, though, in the NCAA tournament facing the Savior team. And if they can get past this one, I don't know. We, uh... Yeah, because they would be the underdog. Now, it's funny because these guys, Jabari Rice has said ever since Chris Beard was dismissed that they've felt like the underdog all year because no one was expecting them to do anything once Chris Beard was dismissed. And and it's brought this team together in a way that you, you just can't believe it. And Rodney Terry deserves a ton of credit, the the coaching staff, Chris Ogden, Bob Donawalt, um, John McClain, they, they have done a great, Steve McClain, sorry. They've done a great <laughs> job of, of, you know, getting these guys to believe and um, infusing a guy like Dylan DeZue with confidence, telling him, Hey, we need you to shoot it. We need you to be the athlete that you are. And, um, Make sure you pay attention to the insider this week because uh, we'll have some some good nuggets in there about uh, the emergence of Dylan DeZue. But the um, this Xavier team is no joke, and they're coached by Sean Miller, a guy whose name you know, like John Calipari and um, Eric Musselman, has popped up as a possible coaching consideration for Texas. Sean Miller was at Arizona very successful coach. This Xavier team is a nightmare. They have four players averaging 14 points. They have length uh, that is can cause a real problem for anyone. Um, their shortest, they, they play eight guys. Their shortest player is 6'3". Uh, their guards are 6'6", 6'4", 6'5". They have a seven-footer in Jack Nunji who is athletic. He'll step out. He'll shoot the three, kind of like Dylan DeZue. That's going to be a great matchup to watch. And they've got a uh, 6'9 forward named Zach Fremantle, who uh, is another do-it-all guy, 15 points, eight rebounds, averaging. 
And, and that's, that's a load because that's a guy who probably would match up with either Christian Bishop or Timmy Allen, Timmy Allen, you know, maybe six, five. Um, so, you know, they're not, they're tough, they're physical, they're skilled. This is going to be the biggest test of the Texas defense in this NCAA tournament. They they've had to defend the three point line against Colgate and Penn state, but Penn state didn't even have the size inside that Colgate had. Right. Xavier uh, brings in a skilled seven footer in Jack Nungy. And that's a, a guy who can drag Dylan to out to the perimeter uh, can, can go inside. He's not a, you know, super burly guy or anything like that, but, uh, this is going to be a great test. And you said it, Taylor, they're going back to Kansas city where they started this postseason run uh, kind of, you know, getting everyone's eyes open with the, the win over Oklahoma state, then TCU, then Kansas 20 point blowout win over Kansas in the Jayhawks backyard. I just think this team feels like they've got something special going on. And if they can get by Xavier, then they're the underdog against most likely Houston, but we'll, we'll see. Um, it's going to be fantastic. Um, I'll be there in Kansas city and um, we'll have all the coverage for you. 24 seven horns, 24, um, com. So don't miss a beat because this has been such a fun team to watch. I think, I think everyone listening to the sound of our voice who saw the Texas Penn state game, Thought it was getting away. Oh, man. Wow. What a run it's been. Jabari Rice couldn't follow up the seven of 10 from three point land. Uh, Marcus Carr couldn't, you know, uh, Timmy Allen. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Dylan DeZoo says, Hold on. Hold my beer. I got Hold this. My beer. <laughs> Took off his glasses like Clark Kent, threw out his burn orange cape, and, uh, and just you know, brought the the Longhorns in for a landing and, and uh, just such a fun team to watch such, such an easy team to root for because of the, the personalities of the coach Rodney Terry and these players who are so appreciative to be with each other. They're bringing yeah. out the best in each other. Yeah. And that, that's not always the case in basketball. You know, you get a lot of the, the superstar one and done type of players that can come in and not, be all in for a team you know they could be all in for themselves and texas is a in a special situation and you're right i think i think even people who typically hate texas and don't want to see them succeed it's hard not to root for this texas basketball team because of everything that they've been through because i mean this is a season that texas was expected to make it you know be or you know contend to be a final four type of team and then when chris beard gets suspended um and ultimately you know, fired from Texas, I think everyone's expectations for Texas just pummeled, just tanked. Nobody expected them to continue this run. And I hope they do continue it because this has been really special to watch. I mean, in itself, I know Texas was a, a two seed entering the tournament, and this probably sounds silly to some people, but in a in a sense, this is kind of like a Cinderella type of team in a Cinderella season for Texas, all things considered, because the the expectations were high and then they just tanked and nobody expected anything. And the fact that they're continuing to make a run, make a push in the NCAA tournament, you know, making it to the Sweet 16 for the first time since what, 08, I believe 08. it. Yeah, yep. I mean, you know, I, I was in college the last time Texas made it to the Sweet 16. So, you know, I'm kind of old. So that that shows how big of a story or how, how big of a season this is. And in a sense, to me, it kind of is like a Cinderella season, even though they were a two seed. I, I get what, you know, it's not a 16 seed making a run, but still just all things considered, it's a kind of a, a fairy tale type of story for Texas basketball. And I hope it continues for them. Yeah. Isn't that cute? Kids. Taylor's <laughs> kind of old. Yeah, um, I'm really old. When they play, right. it's going to be my birthday. Next time they're on the court, it's my birthday. Hey, it, that, <laughs> hey, you know, now, there are worse ways to spend a birthday now. I'm <laughs> telling you. I'll be at a rehearsal dinner actually. So, ah, well, yeah. we'll, uh, we'll have all the coverage for you. Jeff Howe and I will be in Kansas city for this. And, as far as Rodney Terry, I do think uh, the school's going to sit tight. They don't, I don't think Rodney Terry wants 
anything to be about him right now. Once wants it to be about the team. Texas has consistently said we'll handle this situation after the season. So um, just as I've been told, just enjoy the ride. <laughs> um, Real the quick, I have a question. What is your thoughts on Eric Musselman taking off his shirt after Arkansas won? I thought that was weird. <laughs> I did too. thought that was weird. <laughs> like, thank God Rodney Terry <laughs> Hired because that was a name to watch in the, or is expected to be hired, I should say. But because I don't know how I could look at Eric Musselman and be like, I take you seriously after that one. I know. <laughs> and he's a guy who Texas definitely vetted when they hired Chris Beard. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, maybe he's maybe the, the, Fayetteville is getting to him a little bit, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's okay. Between Eric Musselman and then Louisville's women's coach, Jeff Waltz uh, going on and on about some fan behind the Louisville bench in the women's game on Monday night, calling him a jackass about eight times. We're like, okay, we get it. We get it. You had to play a road game and you won. You won by 23. You were up by 27. Why don't you just relax a little bit? But um, he he loves him some Jeff Waltz, and he should. He's been in the final four or five times. His team, you know, had some struggles in the middle of the season that dropped him to a five seed. They are no five seed. They absolutely blitzed uh, the Texas women's team, and I saw that draw, and I was like, oh, geez. Uh, that's a team that's as big and has as much talent at point guard as Texas has and, and pressures on defense like Texas does. And they did all of those things better than Texas. And, and so the big 12 champion, uh, Texas women, great regular season, no doubt about it. You win the regular season conference championship. That's a huge, um, you know, that's a huge achievement. They did it with injuries throughout the year. Uh, and and it, it just turns out those injuries caught up to him. They really needed Sonia Morris, and she was still just coming back from the quadriceps injury. Uh, and so Texas, uh, the Texas women's season comes to an end, and I think all the Big 12 women's teams are out of the tournament, um, which is unfortunate. But, Taylor, you ready for some love it or leave it? I am. Before we get to love it or leave it, we're going to take a really quick break, but stay tuned. We have more football and basketball talk coming up. We'll be right back. All right, Chip, my first love it or leave it for you is love it or leave it. You are good with Jonathan Brooks getting the first team reps at running back despite missing the first three practices of spring ball. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good with this. He's got with Keelan Robinson uh, working his way through this muscle strain and out of practice. Jonathan Brooks is the most experienced guy to put a Jaden blue or a CJ Baxter ahead of Jonathan Brooks at this point is too early. It's too early. So let Jonathan Brooks, the guy who's played in 11 games, has averaged almost seven yards a carry has scored six touchdowns as a longhorn, let him lead this group. And, and then if he's still not, uh, you know, if he's not the best guy for the job at, at the end of spring or even heading into fall camp, that's another thing. But for right now, I'm, I'm good with this Taylor. How about you? Yeah, I'm good with it. I think that that was expected um, when he was coming off of the hernia surgery, just like it was kind of expected that Malik Murphy would be getting second team quarterback reps. Um, So yeah, I think that Jonathan Brooks should be the guy that is getting the first team reps right now. Now, if one of the younger guys were to push him a little bit, like, I don't think that's going to, you know, stay the same, but I I trust to shard choice. I trust the offensive staff with uh, making sure that they have the best running back kind of, depth chart lineup, whatever you may call it, um, you know, to be successful. So there's no reason to question it at this point. So I'm going to agree and I'm going to love it with the the way it is right now. Okay. Love it or leave it. Number two. All right. This one's for you personally. 
Um, love it or leave it. You, Chip Brown, are taking credit for Dylan DeZue's emergence because ever since you asked him if he's returning to Texas, he's become a postseason monster. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably going to have to leave this, but I, I will just tell you, Taylor, we don't talk to Dylan DeZue. You know, he's not a guy who was a, you know, a guy who's like, big in the stat line. So after games, they bring in the guys who were the big contributors. It's usually Marcus Carr, Jabari Rice, or Timmy Allen or Tyrese Hunter. So we, we finally got to talk to Dylan DeZue after they beat Oklahoma state in the first round or the quarterfinals of the big 12 tournament. And so I said, Dylan, you know, we haven't talked to you. Um, Brock Cunningham has already said he's coming back for his 10th year at Texas. <laughs> How about you? And he's like, I'm not even thinking about that right now. You know, I'm just focused on, you know, and I, I, he almost sounded mad. Mm -hmm. And then he comes out against TCU and he just handles business. And then he comes out against Kansas. So after the Kansas game, I said, Hey man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you mad, <laughs> um, but he has just been uh, incredible. So I I'll leave this, but I love, I love his mindset. This is a guy who's playing with so much confidence right now. His teammates absolutely believe in him and they are looking for him. And after his performance against Penn state, they know they can count on him uh, when it matters most and having that scoring option down low. Uh, and Dylan's a guy who can pull you out away from the basket. He can face up, he can shoot the three, you know, this is a guy who he was a guard. It's kind of the Kevin Durant story. And he was a guard all through his, you know, adolescence. He was a big guard. And then all of a sudden, you know, going into his junior year in high school, he sprouts up another four inches and becomes six, nine. And then he's got to learn a whole new position. So um, I, I just love watching this story. It's, it's been fantastic. Um, do I even need to ask you if you love this or leave it? I'll just ask you. Well, okay. I'll, how about you, Taylor? I'm going to love it. I think, I think Chip helped light a fire under his ass a little bit and whether good or bad at the time it's, it's worked out in Texas favor. Chip has a history a little bit with Texas basketball players of asking certain things and then, um, the may not being on board, but then coming around to it, like Durantula, for instance, a behind the scenes story, Kevin Durant, the nickname Durantula, Chip Brown was the one that started it. And had asked Kevin, you can tell the story better, but essentially asked Kevin Durant if he liked that name. And he was like, no. And then all of a sudden, Kevin Durant starts saying that his favorite nickname is Durantula. <laughs> so because of your history, Chip, I I'll love it for you. Yeah. You get a K little pat KD, KD and I have an interesting history. Um, <laughs> I wrote a story about how Kobe Bryant was trying to, you know, make sure that he was going to stay true to Nike. Um, and at that time that was taboo and tampering and all this stuff. And it was true, but, um, you know, Katie didn't need that headache. So, um, you know, I always thought he was like, Oh, I'm not, you came up with it. No, I, I don't like it. Now. <laughs> uh, but you know, Katie and I've made up since, and he's one of the best to ever play. So, um, yeah, I mean, if these guys, and I've said this Taylor, you know, I'm a Michigan guy. I grew up in Michigan. My parents were season ticket holders um, at the big house. And they were the last basketball team with an interim coach to make it to the final four. They won the national championship in 1989 with Steve Fisher as the interim coach and a sizzling hot shooter named Rice, Glenn Rice. And here come the Texas Longhorns. We'll see. Now it's just the sweet 16, but <laughs> Sir Jabari Rice sure got, got uh, Texas off to a great start in the NCAA tournament uh, with those seven three-pointers he hit. So I was going to say, uh, are you about to call your shot here, Chip? Or I've been kind of, I just, <laughs> I'm just, it's an observation. Okay. I'm not going to, not going to call the shot because then everyone's going to be, oh, you jinxed him. Yeah. I'm, it's just an observation. Okay. 
I got but you. I got there's you. something special going on with these guys. So, <laughs> but I'm not kidding. Xavier is a monster. And this, anyone who thinks, oh, oh, Xavier, no, no problem. They're a problem. I mean, yeah. they're, they're a top five scoring offense. They are a top five three point percentage. You know how Colgate's number one? Xavier's in that top five, and they have all that length that I told you about earlier. So this is not some guard heavy team. This is a team with Zach Fremantle is a six foot nine, you know, power forward. Who's the second leading scorer on this team. And, and Jack Nunji, the, the seven footer um, is the fourth leading scorer on this team. And he's averaging 14 points and eight rebounds. He's the fourth leading scorer. He'd be the number two scorer on the Texas Longhorns behind Marcus Carr. So, all right. Do we have one final? Love it or leave yeah, it? Yeah, one final. And this one I am going to ask you to essentially call your shot here. But my final one is love it or leave it. Texas will beat Xavier to get into the Elite Eight and a chance to play for a trip to Houston for this year's Final Four. Hey, I'm not I'm not throwing water on this parade. And not at this point because these Texas Longhorns keep finding a way. And um, this is going to be one of the best games of the tournament, in my opinion. Now, the Penn State game was a fantastic game. But this, if you love basketball, you know, this is two really good offensive teams. And I think Texas wins because they're just this much better defensively. And Rodney Terry deserves all the credit in the world uh, for getting this team to buy in to its defense. They wouldn't be here uh, without it. They, they've been running guys off the three-point line. They've, they're, they've executed their game plan. They wanted to hold Colgate under six three-pointers. They held him to three. They wanted to hold Penn State to six three-pointers. They held him to eight. Um, and, and Dylan DeZue, you know, I mean, Dylan DeZue made up for it. And so I just think that Texas with uh, some days rest, knowing how big this matchup is, um, is going to be ready. And they're back in the T-Mobile Center where they won the Big 12 tournament. So I'm going to love this, Taylor. How about you? Yeah, I think I'm going to love it. And I think it's more probably like, I, I hope for Rodney Terry and for this team's sake that they do uh, find a way to beat this talented Xavier team because I just don't want that this story of a season to end for Texas. I feel like it's that special. It's that unique. And they deserve to continue to get the credit and the publicity and the, you know, the the feel good stories, the pregame stories that you see at CBS and you know, pretty much every network that's talking about the NCAA tournament, if they talk about Texas, they talk about this very unique situation and this amazing story that Rodney Terry and this team has put together. So I want to see that continue, I think. And I think they have a chance to make it continue. I mean, I, I really, I like even, I, I like the, the fact that, you know, there could be some of the leading scorers at Texas that are, that are struggling and they still have other guys willing and capable and able to step up and and take you know charge of a game and that that just shows how special this team is how how veteran this team is I think um how mature this team is and I want to see this continue to go so I'm going to love this and say Texas will make a trip to the elite eight after beating Xavier yeah and and if if Texas can get by Xavier they would play either Houston or Miami and Miami is a carbon copy of Houston. Just monsters, bouncy, rim protection, guys who attack the basket, tough defense. I mean, Texas got no favors in the uh, in the bracket. You know, you look over it, you know, a couple of these brackets, the ones, you know, Purdue, you look in the East or whatever that bracket is. K-State's the highest seed left. <sighs> In that bracket, K-State, um, great for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, like, according to the seeding, they should go to the Final Four. Right. Um, you know, Arizona gets busted by uh, Princeton. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Over here in the Midwest, all the monsters are still there. You know, Houston, Miami, Xavier, Texas. Those are four of the best teams in this tournament. So um, 
it's going to be fun to watch. And we thank you and hope you had some fun watching today, the flagship podcast uh, for Taylor Estes. I am Chip Brown. Until next time, we'll see you over at horns247.com. Until then, stay safe and keep the faith.